0: Doing Grace, you know we got a pretty big room. Let's try that one more time. How we doing? Awesome, good, good. So good to see you guys. Welcome to Baptism Weekend. We are excited to do this. Uh, I have been praying uh, for like the last month and a half that we would have uh, cooler weather, and the Lord's like cool on Baptism Weekend. That's great. So uh, if this will definitely be the coldest Grace Baptism we've ever done. Um, So, but it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. Looking forward to it. You eventually get numb. So, uh, (laughs) Hebrews chapter 11, open your Bibles if you have them with you. Hebrews chapter 11, uh, we're going to be talking about a guy who is very, very central to Hebrews, but also central to the entire scripture. His name is Abraham. And what I want to talk to you about uh, this morning is I want to talk to you about inheritance. Inheritance. Inheritance is uh, one of these things that can be a real blessing, but it can also be a curse. I have friends right now who are receiving just giant inheritances. Our people are poor, so we get nothing. But but it's a blessing that just all of a sudden, it's as if everything, like the, the good decisions that were made in the past, were just somehow suddenly transferred to you, and you get to be the recipient of that. Well, Abraham is the recipient of an inheritance from God. And what we're going to talk about today is that you are also an inheritor of the, thing, of the same things that Abraham was an inheritor of. But for many of us, the reason why inheritance is such a difficult thing for us to kind of figure out is because we receive bad inheritances. inheritance can be a blessing, but it can also be a curse. For many of us, we can look back into the family systems that we came from. We can look back at the way that our parents lived, and we can look back at what they thought and how that was transferred to us, and the inheritance that we received was one filled with brokenness. And so, For us, what we want to talk about today is how those two things kind of fit together. Because both of those things, having a broken inheritance and having an inheritance of blessing, both of those things God works out for the good of his people. So in your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to be looking at verses. We're going to start in verse 8. We're going to look through about verse 19. Here we go, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. From one man, that's Abraham, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they'd been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. All right, so let me just kind of dive into Abraham real quick. Abraham uh, lived about 2000 BC. So as the writers of Hebrews, right, as the writers of Hebrews are writing this, which was 2000 years ago, already to them, Abraham was an ancestor. This was ancient history to them. So just as far as where we are today to where the Bible was written was where the Bible was written to where Abraham was, okay? And so as we think about this for a second, one of the great things that happens is as they're thinking about what God is going to do in the life of Abraham, they record a very different experience from the Old Testament in the New Testament. So let me tell you a little bit of the story. One day, God comes to Abraham, right? And Abraham is just a young man. He lives in Mesopotamia. He lives in a city called Ur. It was a wealthy city. His father was a priest. And his father was somebody who had, uh, he was just, he was a man of renown. He had a comfortable life, Abraham. And then one day God comes to him and says, Abraham, I want you to follow me. And, and Abraham, here's what it's going to cost you. You've got to leave your nation. You've got to leave your people. You've got to leave your language. And you've got to leave your religion. And you just got to follow me. God, where are we going? Just follow me. Okay, cool. I got that part. Where, like, just tell me where we're gonna go. Just follow me. I want you to walk east, and Abraham did it, but he only did it partially. He walked right up to the border where he had brought most of his family, which was not what God wanted him to do. And then eventually he went. He, so he, he came about halfway to the promised land. This promised land was a land called Canaan, and it was going to be the place where Abraham and his his, his kid. Uh, Isaac and Jacob, his grandson, they were going to live and their descendants would live on and on and on. It would be a place of blessing. It would be where God showed up to pour out his goodness on their life. He went about halfway there. He stopped and he waited for a while. Now, when we pick up the story here in verse 8, we don't see anything of the Old Testament story about that at all. In fact, look at what it says. By faith, Now, if you look through the whole chapter of, of chapter 11, almost every verse starts with faith right? Talking about different people in verse 4. By faith, Abel. Verse 5. By faith, Enoch. Um, And it just continues. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. That's where we are. But in verse 8, it says this. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. (laughs) And he went out not knowing where he was going, okay? So, like, that was a really, that was, that was just like a, a really strange thing. They don't mention at all the fact that he kind of disobeyed God and only went halfway. Why? Because when you walk in faith, this is really important. When you walk in faith and you are in faith, God doesn't remember your disobedience. He remembers your obedience, Because this is one of those hard things. And here's the reason why so many people have a tough time with their relationship with God. It's because of what we think about him, not about what he thinks about us. It's about the fact that when we screw up and we mess up, we fill our lives with self-condemnation. We fill ourselves with that kind of condemnation that says, man, I'm just failing. Like, I'm a big screw-up. Certainly God wouldn't want to love me. Certainly God would want nothing of me. And if you closed your eyes and thought, what does God look like, he would have a frown on his face. As it, as it relates to thinking about you, because you have that. And our tendency is to look at God and go, oh my gosh, he must think about me the same way that I think about myself. But here in the New Testament, none of the failures of Abraham are recorded in this passage. It doesn't say, hey, Abraham obeyed in faith partly, but it just records him obeying. Why? Because God remembers the faith not the failure. And I want you to think about this because this is one of those big giant things for us in our personal lives. If we walk around constantly filled with condemnation and thinking to ourselves, you know what? I'm just never gonna get this thing right. I can't do it. I had a guy call me this week. He goes to another campus and he, he called me. He said, he said, hey, I just wanna confess something to you. He said, I, he said, I screwed up this week. I've been, I was out traveling. He travels for work. And he's like, I was just sitting at the bar and I had a drink and I had another drink and that turned into like eight drinks. And and uh, and he goes. He goes. You know, I just woke up and I was filled with condemnation and a terrible headache. I was like, the terrible headache is your brain trying to comprehend its own stupidity. And uh, and, and, and 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 it was and it was awesome because listen, I, I said to him, I'm just kind of joking with him. And I said, listen, you know, here's the thing. I appreciate you con- I appreciate you confessing that and just like accountability for accountability's sake. That was great. But when you wake up the next morning and you feel the condemnation of God, you need to know that's you and not him. Because when we are in faith, walking by faith, even when we screw up or even when we make intentional decisions to mess up, we're still covered by grace. I want you to capture this because this is super important. This is not some easy believism that we're talking about right now. Because here's the thing. It wasn't easy when Jesus hung on the cross and took the punishment of God for you. So there's something inside each and every one of us when we are condemning ourselves because we know that wrong has to be set right. But here's where we mislabel it. We think we're the ones that set it right. When the reality is, this is exactly what Jesus did for you. He died so that the father would remember the faith and not the failure. He died so that you would not have to walk around. Listen to what the Bible says. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Bible says that God does not uh, count men's sins against them. The Bible says that God does not deal with us according to our iniquities. Over and over and over again in the Bible, it says that God has set you free because Jesus was crucified so that you wouldn't have to be. He paid the sin. And I know sometimes like we, we think to ourselves, well, Well, I mean, I'm just kind of adding to that. That, That's okay. That's appropriate. Like, it's appropriate for me to feel bad. But I want you to understand and just think about it a little bit differently. If you walk around with self-condemnation as a follower of Jesus, you're functionally saying to Jesus that what he did was not enough. You need to add to it. When we fall and when we fail, Jesus is there to fix that. He remembers not the failure. He remembers the faith. But look at what it says in verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place. They don't remember it. He doesn't. Now listen, let's let's talk about this for a second. When I say that he doesn't remember it, we serve a God who is omniscient. What does that mean? It means that he's all-knowing. It's not like God doesn't remember, like he has some kind of like form of dementia. He doesn't remember the things that you do wrong. It's just that he doesn't hold them against you anymore. Why? Because he held them against Jesus on the cross. They were actually punished. All the things that we have done were poured out on Jesus. And as a result of that, we are set free. If you're not a super religious person in the room today, then I just need you to understand this is the greatest, most inequitable exchange in human history. You have the opportunity to say, God, I need what you provide for me. It's not about doing right. It's not about trying harder. It's not about being moral. It is about a relationship with Jesus where Jesus sets you free from the law of sin and death. And when that happens, you now no longer need to hide anymore. You don't need to walk around like, I got it all together. Like, I'm just, I'm the man. I'm the woman. I got it all together. I've got it. life figured out. No, you don't. We know that. We've been on your Facebook page. <laughs> like, you don't have it all figured out. It's okay because Jesus is there for us. But watch this. This is super important. It says here in verse 8, and he went out not knowing where he was going. We, we, we built this entire church on uh, the idea that Jesus gives us in the scriptures of taking their next step toward Christ. Like, that's the mission of this church. I don't want you to, we're not calling you to take someone else's next step. You have a next step. Every single person has a next step. We believe that in order for you to be spiritually mature, you cannot be stagnant. You have to have a life of motion. Even sometimes if God says that motion is you sitting still and listening quietly. But our job is to take a next step toward Christ. We're just taking steps. We're taking steps towards Jesus, right? But here's the thing. It's a challenging thing for us. Why? Because again, we get knocked off course because we think to ourselves, well, you know what? I'm in charge. And, I, and when I fail, I've got, to, I've got to condemn myself in the process. Here's the thing. God is rewriting many of our stories because our inheritance was really, really messed up. Many of you know, and if you haven't been here before, I grew up in a super abusive family. My dad used to beat me. And we, he was a chronic alcoholic, United States Marine, really, really tough guy. And it was just a horrible situation. And all of us have known and seen people who grew up exactly like their parents. And then there seem to be these other people who grew up very different than their parents. We've seen people grow up just like their parents. Because he was angry, I'm angry. Because I didn't learn anything different, I'm just the same way. He's angry, I'm angry. He commits adultery, I commit adultery. He's bad with money, I'm bad with money. He's, he's got bad character, takes shortcuts, I'm going to have bad character and take shortcuts. He's a fool, I'm a fool. That's just some of us. That's how we've identified ourselves. That's how we've walked around all the time. That's the inheritance that we've received. And we think, this is normal. But the reality is the scriptures teach us. Like they give us wisdom on how to become a different person. And so all those things were true about my father that I just mentioned. But they're not true about me. And it's really tempting to go, well, it's just because you're a better person than your dad was. And the answer to that is fundamentally no. The difference between my father and I is I've let everything, not everything, but I've let as much as I can of this book get in here. And it's transformed my heart. And I don't walk around constantly angry and mad all the time. I don't walk, I'm faithful to my wife. We're not, we're not f- foolish with our finances. I'm not a fool. Just all those things that come together. Why? Because we're creating a new inheritance. God is in the process right now. When he's in your life, he's in the process of rewriting your story. He doesn't want you to live in the same brokenness of the past. Listen, again, when you, if, you're not, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a person who's like super religious, you go, oh, the church isn't relevant to me. Are you kidding me? Sin is a stain that's damaged your soul. It's corrupting and corroding the insides of you. And Jesus has the answer for it. Like he set us free from that. We no longer have to walk in the inheritance of brokenness that we've received from others. Some of you entered into a marriage. It was just like that. That's the inheritance that you have. You're gone from that marriage. It's broken. It's messed up. It was terrible. It was awful. You've been in abusive relationships. We've all had backgrounds where we've gone through very tough things. We don't have to let our biography of the past determine the biography of the future. We just don't have to let it happen. And the difference here is the choice that's made. Are we going to let the scriptures wash over our hearts and our minds? Are we going to become different people? look at what it says here. You may not know where you're going to go. You may not know where you're going to go. All God's going to give you is he's going to give you the next step. Now, how many of you were old enough to remember when you needed a map to get across the country? Raise your hands. Okay. Now, you remember that, right? Like, we can't, we can't look at our phones right now. Like, that's against the law. But back in the 80s, you'd pop out an entire map, you know? It'd be like, Driving down the road, like, you know, hey, what's going on? oh we're going to take a ride up here, right? See, that's what we want. Like, we want the map. We want the whole story. Like, I, I, I'm a teacher, so I want to understand. I don't want to just believe stuff. I want to know why I believe them. I want the map. I don't want to just know that God's leading me somewhere. I want to know where he's leading me. And so I want to see the entire destination route, just kind of all like, you know, those old highlighted uh, AAA things, right? The trip tickets, right? I want a trip ticket for my life, right? I want to know from beginning to end how it's going to work. But our life, the way God's actually worked it is it's much more like Siri is now or your Apple navigation, right? Which if you don't have Apple phones, it's 50-50 whether you can go to heaven, all right? So, so, so but, 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 here's, but here's, here's the thing, like, here's the thing. But here's the, here's the thing, so, so what happens now is we don't know necessarily, we just say, hey, we want to get somewhere, and then we just kind of like let it go, right? Like nowadays, I'm amazed, I'm just driving down the road, I'm not even thinking about where I'm going, and she's just like, all right, go right, you know? And I'm like, okay, you know, I mean, I don't know, she could be like really wicked and lead us to bad places, right? Because we're just, but eventually we arrive at the destination point that we wanted to get to because we've trusted along the way the navigation, and that's exactly what we're supposed to do. God says, I'm going to give you a next step. I'm not giving you the entire map. And here's the reason why. Because if I had that entire map, I wouldn't need God. Faith is the fundamental currency of our relationship with God. And so I need to say, I'm taking a step, and that step is going to lead me to the next step, and that next step is going to lead me to the next step. I may not always know where I'm going, but God will give me clarity. He may not give me down the road all the directions, but he'll tell me where I'm supposed to be right now. And for many of us, that is our next step, to ask ourselves, what is my next step? How can I take my next step toward Christ? God, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? Because it's not just about us. Verse 9, it says, by faith he, this is Abraham, went to live in the land of promise. That's Canaan down the road, right? As in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. It could be written, inheritor's of the same promise. So when God gives you a promise, when God gives you an inheritance, it's not just for you. In fact, it's not primarily for you. So the story advances. They've already walked through everyone. So now, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob so, so grandfather, son, and grandson they live in the promised land, right? They live in that land. But if Abraham wasn't obedient, I want you to see, like if he had not taken his next step, where are we going, God? Just start walking east, Abraham. Uh, But I don't know where I'm going. Just start walking east. Who am I supposed to take? Start walking east, son. Just follow me. Just take your next step. If he hadn't done that, I want you to think about the repercussions that would have happened. I mean, from the line of Abraham, we eventually get Jesus. The entire, if Abraham had said no thanks, now certainly God could have raised somebody else up, but it would have caused an entire difficulty. It's possible that Abraham could have said no and none of the subsequent stuff that happened would have happened. Because every single decision that we make when God asks us to take another step actually impacts someone else. This is why we got broken inheritances, because our parents didn't prioritize the church and Jesus. And as a result of that, what ended up happening? They learned maladaptive ways of living, and then they transitioned that maladaptive way of living into us. So now we walk by our own strength and by our own flesh instead of trusting God. I always walk around wanting the map instead of just the next step in the navigation process. God, I'm going to take my next step. And so ultimately, your inheritance has very little to do just with you. It has to do with others. It does have something to do with you because we live in this world, right? So God is rewriting the story. He's in the process of changing the way that we feel about ourselves, think about the world, and interact with him. Um, The word to live here, right? Verse 9 says, by faith he went. So when God calls you, you go. When God says, this is your next step, don't, don't, don't in the background just say, well, maybe I'll take it, maybe I won't, because there's repercussions for that. Not that God's gonna come down on you and he's gonna destroy you, but you're not gonna receive the blessing and the abundance of what God wants to pour out on you. There's something incredible about walking with God in the way of God. But look at what it says here. By faith he went to live in the land of promise. The word to live here is translated in the ancient Greek for, with the ancient Greek word paraklytos, And it's describing a resident alien, one who lives in a certain place, but doesn't have permanent status there. So here's Abraham. He gets to the promised land. This is your inheritance. You're going to go to the land of Canaan. His son lives there with him. His grandson lives with him. They've got numerous descendants now. It's an amazing thing. God says to you, hey, Abraham, one day you're going to be the father of many nations. Lots of people are going to come from you. Abraham, one day I'm going to give you this promised land. They live there. But for some reason, they actually never build buildings. And yes, they could build buildings 4,000 years ago. They don't build buildings. There's nothing like that. They live, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they live in tents. Why? Because there was something inside Abraham that was really, really incredible. Abraham received all the blessing that God was, that called him to receive in that moment when they came into the land of Canaan. But he considered himself to be a resident alien of the area, meaning Abraham was looking for something more than just what this world could give to him there was a desire deep inside of his heart. The story that God was rewriting in Abraham was you're gonna leave all the things that create your identity, your family, your friends, your language, your religion, all that, all the stuff that make you you, Abraham. You're gonna leave all that and you're gonna follow me. And when you get to the land of Canaan, it's not going to be the land of Canaan that is your blessing, it's gonna be me. It's gonna be how I pour myself out on you in that place. Very much the same way you and I sometimes struggle to identify what our deepest desires are. And what I mean by that is we sometimes get to the place in our life where we feel like I've accomplished all kinds of things that I wanted to accomplish, but it didn't seem to actually fill me. It didn't actually seem to make me whole like I thought it was. I got to the right amount of money. I got to the right house. My kids went to the right schools. We've got the right retirement. Whatever the thing is for you. I I still look beautiful at 70. You know, whatever it is for you, right? Whatever that thing is, we get there and we think to ourselves, is this really all there is? And here's the reason why Abraham was able to kind of skip a little bit of that. In verse 10, it says this, that even though he dwelled in the land of Canaan, he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. If we look at the language here, what he's saying is he was looking forward to the city whose foundation was God himself, whose designer and builder was God himself. So what Abraham was looking for in that moment was not an earthly treasure. He was looking for the thing that he'd been longing for his whole life and that was God himself. About 10 years ago I was having a conversation with a good friend of mine, he's a lawyer in central Florida. He's really rich and he's a great guy. And I was telling him about something, like inside, like a, something inside my heart. And I used to think this was a super weird thing. <laughs> Maybe it is. Uh, I used to think it was a super weird thing, um, but the more I've read scripture, the more I come to the realization that I think it's actually a super biblical thing. And it has to do with this. This is why verse 10 is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. I, used to, I would tell him that there's, there's, I got a really good life. Like I love my life. I love being your pastor. <laughs> I love the people in this church. I love the community that's being built here. I I just, I love Central Florida. I love my wife. I love my kids. We're provided for. It's good. But there's always a piece of me that, like, longs to be with Jesus, like, just to go. It's like when you get to the end of Christmas. Because, like, right now we're going to spend a bunch of money and it's going to be great and it's awesome, right? And they're going to feel really bad in January. But right but right, but right, but right, after, right, afterwards, like after you're done with it, I remember even feeling this when I was a kid before I knew God. I would get to the end of the presence, and I got some great stuff. We weren't poor. We got some good stuff. But I would think to myself, is that all there is? There's always sense in which when we accomplish the thing that we want to accomplish, when we get the thing that we've always longed for, we realize it wasn't the thing we longed for. Like, I longed to be with Jesus. I love this life. It's great. The Apostle Paul said something very similar. He's like, listen, I long to go and be with him, but it's better for me now because of you that I stay. In other words, he's like, I got teaching to do. I've got people to disciple. There's more that's important. The legacy, the inheritance that I eventually will receive, the kingdom of God is great and wonderful, and we're going to receive it. But we have an important mission here and now. what we've longed for is not what we've longed for. We've longed for Him. We want to be close to Him. There's a part of us that will never be satisfied until we find our place with Him. And that that is true if you've walked with Jesus for 50 years or if you've never walked with Him. We recognize that the things that we've been looking for ultimately are fulfilled not here, but in Him. And then it begins to describe some of those amazing things, you know, that, his, that the foundation of our life will be him. The designer and builder is God. I mean, my hope is that eventually, like, I'll just, I'll, I will just do as much and as much and as much as I possibly can until he just says, hey, it's time to come home, son. And my hope, it's going to be very tragic for you, but it's going to be very glorious for me. And my hope is that I'm preaching and I'm killing it, and then eventually I just, boom, I fall dead right like there. Like, that's what I want to do to you down the road. Like, when I'm older, like, I just want to be like, you guys would be like, you know, and I'm like, peace out. You know, and, like, and I'm just like, I want to go to Jesus. I, get, I want a good story when I get to heaven. Hey, what were you doing? I was like, preaching the gospel. What were you doing? A tree fell on me. You know, like, I just, like, I, I want to get to the end. I want to get to the end. And I really, really, really want to long for him as much on this side of paradise as I possibly can. And then it begins to tell stories of people who did exactly that. Their faith enabled them to see in a distance the things that would one day promise to them, their great inheritance that we will one day receive in Christ, the city of God that will be ours, the dwelling place that will be ours. We get to see that not just in the future when we die and go to heaven and and, and then live in in heaven for a while and then the new earth. But, But it is something we get to see right now. You and I get to look ahead and say, I look forward to the day. Every beautiful, incredible moment that we get to experience in the here and now is for the purpose of showing us it's coming, it's coming. Every good thing that you experience here right now is like an alarm bell going one day it's gonna be full, it's gonna be rich. Every joyful circumstance you've ever had in your life has been fleeting here today, and it was gone tomorrow, but one day you'll receive the fullness of that joy, the fullness of that love, the fullness of that hope, and it will not ever get old. It will get newer and newer and newer forever and ever and ever, and that is the hope that we have in Christ, but we don't just get to see it after life. We get to see it right now, and verse 11 says this. Here are some examples of people who saw it right now. Verse 11, by faith, Sarah, Sarah was Abraham's wife, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. And even when she was past the age, since she considered him, that's God, faithful who had promised, God came to Sarah. And, and she was old, like, old, like 90. Right? So I was at a party. I was at a party a couple of days ago. And uh, I just love babies. You know, I'll, you know and I love, I, just, I, love, I love babies. And uh, so I was holding uh, a couple's baby at our church, Right? And we were just kind of hanging out, and I was holding the baby, holding the baby. And somebody came up to me and goes, is that your baby? And I go, no. Like, I love babies. I like to hand them back to their parents, right? But but here's the thing. Like, I I can't even, getting pregnant, like, we're almost 50. Can you imagine getting pregnant at 50? No. Like, that's not, like, children are a blessing from the Lord until 50. (laughs) And then they are a difficulty from the Lord. Well, I, I, lo- I love you. I love you. Like, if you were born late, bless your parents. I mean, ser- seriously. But I was just like, no. So, so Sarah hears she's going to get pregnant. Like, God just comes to her and says, hey, you're going to get pregnant. She's like, ah, that's funny. I'm 90. But he was rewriting her story. Why? In that day, if you were a wife and you couldn't give birth to a child, It was considered God's displeasure with you. So for 90 years, Sarah walked in shame. For 90 years, a husband had to comfort his wife and say, God is with us. For 90 years, she was broken. And then when she found out she was pregnant, the Bible says that she laughed again. It wasn't a faithless laugh. It was a faith-filled laugh. (laughs) That's crazy. How is it possible? By faith, she trusted in the one she considered him faithful who had promised. If God tells you that He's rewriting your story in a powerful way, that you have a tendency not to believe, believe Him because He is God, and He can do all things. Verse eleven: By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Verse 12, therefore, from one man, this is Abraham, and him as good as dead. This is because he was really old. Like, he's just way too old to conceive. We're born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains on the sand of the seashore. We are presently living in the age in which this prophecy was given and also fulfilled. We live in this age right now. Abraham had two two boys. Um, He had originally two boys, uh, uh, Ishmael and Isaac. And Ishmael, all the descendants of Ishmael are the Arab world. God loved them. And, 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 and all, of, all of those people, I mean, there, there are billions of them around the planet right now. They are innumerable as the sand and the sea. And then from Isaac came the, the line of promise where Jesus would come through. And we have Jewish people and Christian people all over the world. There are billions of them. They are as numerous as the sand and the seashore. But Abraham had no way of being able to envisage what would take place. He had no way of thinking about, like, this is going to happen. I mean, think about it for a second. You're this guy who lived in Mesopotamia 4,000 years ago, and now we still are experiencing the blessing of his inheritance. And Jesus came into the world 2,000 years ago, and we're still receiving the blessing of his inheritance just because one man decided to follow. He said, I'll go where you lead me. Verse 13 says this, and I love this. So all these people that we're describing right now, these all, All of them. They died in faith. What does that mean? It means they died trusting God. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. See, this is where we are too. Like we don't get to receive everything promised. And what does that mean? Especially as like 21st century, got to have it now kind of Christians. Here's what it means. It means everything that we get right now, all the beautiful things. And God does. I pray all the time that God blesses your life. But as God gives us these things, that we have those moments where we realize the thing that we wanted, whether it was the really nice car that we were going to get one day, the really nice house, the right school, the right kind of wife, the right kind of husband, the right kind of children, whatever it was that we longed for or hoped for, being able to stay young longer, being able to look pretty, being able not to be overweight, being able to do this or that. All these things that we thought we really, really wanted, when we got them, we realized they were not the thing we were longing for. And very much the same way, that's what the Bible's describing here. We died. We died in faith, trusting him. But we didn't receive everything promised in this life. Why? Because that's what Jesus is for. Every single time we long for something and we say, without this, I'm not going to be happy. We're really longing for God. C.S. Lewis loved this idea so much that he said every time a man walks into a brothel, he's looking for God. But don't tell your wife that. (laughs) Hey, I was looking for God today. His idea basically there was this, that... Ultimately, every desire of our heart stems from and eventually finds its culmination in God himself. And that's true for you. You have an inheritance one day. And that inheritance will be made right and full when Jesus is seen face to face. Until then, we get partial glimpses. We get shadows. We get echoes. Verse 14, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. See, that's what you were looking for. That's what you've been looking for your whole life, even if you're not religious. You've been looking for home. And I'm going to tell you that home is Christ's church, and it's Christ. You're home. Don't go look for something else. You're home. Verse 17. Skip down there with me, if you will. It ends with a story, and it's really beautiful. Um, it's the story of the biggest test of Abraham's faith in his life. Uh, and I'm going to t- just tell you the story real quick. You can kind of read up there, if you will. Uh, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. In other words, through Isaac, one day, Jesus will be named. He considered that God was able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive a bat. So one day, God comes to Abraham, and it's been all this long season, they, they've received Isaac. Finally, finally, Sarah is not looked at by all the other women as scorned by God. Now, all of a sudden, uh, Abraham knows that he's got this huge inheritance. It's all going to come through this line. And then one day, God comes to him. And God says, hey, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your child. If that's mortifying to you, then you need to understand it was mortifying. It was terrible, but it was a practice in the, in, uh, the, ancient, in the ancient days in the cities surrounding uh, Canaan, And even in Canaan, before before, uh, Abraham and his people uh, resided there, infant sacrifice was a common, or child sacrifice was a common practice. In order to appease an angry God, you would give him your firstborn child. Um, However, in the book of Leviticus, God said this. He said, this is is unrighteousness, and this is not what my people do. So when God came to him and said, hey, I want you to do this, it would be super confusing to him. But Abraham just trusted. Why? Because he didn't have a map. All he had was the next step. God, I'll do what you say. It's terrifying to me. So I just want you to imagine with me, let's go 4,000 years ago, and it's not all that different than right now. You and I are walking up the hill, right? And we've got, I've got my son Isaac with me, and he's 13 years old, and we're coming up the hill. And the Bible said that Abraham knew that if he was required to do this thing, that God could resurrect him from the dead. So he's just like, I mean, he's just undone. I mean, I just can't imagine that. Like, that's my boy, I don't have ten. I've got one. This is my only son. He was supposed to be promised. All my inheritance comes through him. All my legacy comes through him. And God, you want me to sacrifice him? I trust you. I don't understand you, but I trust you right now. So he just continues to walk up that mountain. And they get to where the altar is. And Isaac turns to his dad and says, Hey, dad, where's the sacrifice? And he says, Isaac, lay down. He said, You're the sacrifice. And one of the things that's always been so amazing to me about that story is that Isaac trusted his father so much that this 13 year old boy didn't run away and say, You're crazy. He laid down because he knew that his father loved him. And if it was required of him to, t- to have his life taken, then dad knew best. And Isaac t- or Abraham takes that knife and he begins to plunge it down into, into Isaac's heart. And the angel says, Stay your hand, Abraham. Don't touch the boy. And over here, there's this little ram, and they grab the ram, and they take the ram, and they sacrifice it. And the reason was that sin requires death. And if sin isn't, if death does not take care of our sin, then sin will kill us one day. It's a story told because it's the picture of what God the Father did for us. He didn't make Isaac do this terrible thing. But he wanted to know, that, or sorry, he didn't make Abraham do this terrible thing, but he wanted to know that Abraham would do it. They would trust him no matter what. That he couldn't see the end, but he could understand the instruction. In the very, very same way, our father in heaven took his one and only son and marched him up a hill. And he did not stay his hand. And he turned him over to people who crucified him and killed him. And the father, I can't even imagine it. Because we're created in the image of God, we have the same kind of emotions that the father has. So I can't imagine the father dispassionately looking at this, sitting back in the background going, oh, well, this is what's supposed to happen. I'm sure this broke the father's heart. But he didn't hold it back. He had all the power in the world. He could have just said, no, we're not doing this. But he watches his son was killed on that cross. Why? Because there was a greater love at purpose. And that was this that all the sin that would fall on Jesus on the cross would no longer fall on you so that you could be set free from sin and death. This is the beautiful news of the gospel. The Father loved you so much that he was willing to give his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not die one day, but have an everlasting life And all you need to do to have that everlasting life is receive him by faith. Trust him with your life in the big ways and in the small ways. And at the end of all of that imperfectly lived out life, God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. And that's my hope for you. Amen? Father, thank you that you're rewriting stories. Forgive us when we think sin is no big deal. It is a cancer. It is a disease that pervades the heart. It's not something outside of us. It's something inside of us. And thank you, Father, that you've placed your son and your spirit on the inside of us to solve that problem. Thank, thank you, God, that unlike Abraham, you did, not hold, you did not hold anything back from us. But you gave us your absolute best so we could be set free. Forgive us when we just think that this world is the home that we're supposed to live in. We are resident aliens here. Here for a season, as your word says, missed, here today and gone tomorrow. But Father, we want to live forever with you. We want to see the fulfillment of all of our deepest desires, our truest dreams, our most real hopes. Father, help us to see it by faith right now, even if we see it from a distance so that one day we'll see you face to face. It's in your name we pray, amen.